0: Pacifica Radio. This is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihera Zozan. After three weeks of huge popular demonstrations by the Algerian people, ailing President Abdelaziz Bouteflika agreed Monday to not run for a fifth straight term.
1: What they want is dignity, and dignity means everything. It's a movement that is linked to pervasive socioeconomic unrest and an ideal of social justice that has been here, but also an ideal of political sanctity. There is an idea uh, widely shared in the the Ajayan political culture that is inherently linked to uh, the revolution, this legacy.
0: This week, we speak with Professor Thomas Serres of UC Santa Cruz about the current situation and how it echoes the Arab Spring that preceded it As well as the 1988 Youth Rebellion of Algiers. Stay with us. From poster child for colonial struggles in the 1950s and 60s, Algeria has transitioned to a country that is still struggling to perfect its own democratic system 50 years later, trying to attain the long-promised emancipation that so many had died for. Today, the streets of Algiers and other major cities are filled with passionate and enthusiastic crowds, men and women, made up of mostly people under 30, demanding the rights to choose their own government and control their own destinies. After three weeks of huge popular demonstrations by the Algerian people, ailing President Abdelaziz Aziz Bouteflika agreed Monday to not run for a fifth straight term, which was the most prominent and urgent demand by the protesters. Here are voices of some of the protesters who spoke with France 24 about why they have decided to join the anti-government protest in Algeria. Just look at the people here. This is action.
1: We always said that one day, the people would speak out and the people are out. We're against the fifth mandate. We're against a group of people who've taken hold of power and who are taking advantage of the president's illness. They've stolen control of our country. The situation
0: in Algeria is very serious because the system is corrupt. We cannot continue with this system. He doesn't fulfill the conditions to stand. He's unfit. He's incapable of
2: speaking or thinking.
0: No to the regime. We need a better future for our children. We did not live a good life, but we want our children to live a better life. We want to bring down the regime. The problem is the regime. Butaflika is being held hostage. He is sick. He is sick. He doesn't speak. He breathes artificially. This week, we speak with Professor Thomas Serres of UC Santa Cruz about the current situation and how it echoes the Arab Spring that preceded it as well as the 1988 Youth Rebellion of Algiers.
3: Thomas, in the 1950s, after the French defeat at Dien Bien Mm Phu, Algeria became a poster child for colonial struggles worldwide with its own revolution against colonial rule, becoming independent in 1962, after a bloody war of independence. The FLN, Front de Libération Nationale, which led this fight against the colonizers, immediately took over right after independence, dispensing with the very notion of democracy and remained in power, largely unchallenged, until 1988, when grassroots pressure forced a sudden opening of the political system, with the first genuine elections occurring soon after that. That opening was promptly followed by, unfortunately, a very bloody civil war Mm -hmm. when the Islamist party, which was about to win the elections, was denied its victory and Mm -hmm. it went underground. Fast forward to 1999, when the current president, Bouteflika was elected, bringing with him an end to the worst violence that had befallen an exhausted country for nearly 10 years. Today, Abdelaziz Bouteflika's rule is coming to an end one way or the other. Bouteflika, for a while, symbolized the return to peace in Algeria. At least it coincided with the return to peace. And this allowed him to win election after election, along with perhaps some ir- irregularities that, that have been part of this, the electoral system. Tell us what is prompting today's generalized popular unrest something that's been going on for about two weeks now.
1: Something that I want to say before we we speak about the the, the current uprising, if we go back and have a look at the general history of Algeria after independence, I think that it's important to keep in mind that the FLN was never actually in charge. Those who were in charge were part of a bureaucratic military machine that seized power That was largely uh, constituted during the the Algerian War of Independence, during the revolution. That was a consequence of the militarization of the struggle, so a reaction to French violence. And this military bureaucratic machine seized power in 1962, and the FLN was rapidly disqualified. It was clearly one of the pillars of the revolutionary struggle, but it was considered considered to be an empty shell. This is something that uh, Poomidien, Ware Boomidien, second president, expressed quite clearly. So if we fast forward and look at what is going on right now, uh, what is going on right now is clearly, uh, if we take it from this historical perspective, what is going on right now is clearly a generational break. For more than a decade, this generation of the uh, War of Independence, this revolutionary uh, family has been trying to maintain its grip on power at any cost. And and right now, the, the generation that was born just before or during the Civil War, late 1980s or 1990s. These young men and women have nothing to do with the War of Independence and they have everything to do. And their whole life was conditioned, shaped by the civil war.
3: The FLN has officially not been in charge, as you were saying, but every president that came to the fore, whether Bimbella or Boumediene, and later on, one after the other, generals were all linked to the FLN, to the War of Independence. So we're talking about the generation that fought the war
1: Mm -hmm. against
3: France being still in charge 50, almost 60 years later.
1: Absolutely, and what you say is extremely interesting because actually, again, looking at the nuance is, is very helpful to understand the current configuration in Algeria. Not every president was linked to the FLN for one simple reason, the FLN entered in a phase of dissidence in 1992, after the coup. So during the civil war, the FLN was not backing the regime. During the Civil War, it was another party that was created out of nowhere that had the support of the administration that is called the r and National Democratic Rally. And the R&D is absolutely essential, even if it's, it doesn't have any kind of widespread popular support, it is the party of the administration, the current prime minister, with the strongman, not Bouteflika, the current prime minister, Ahmed Uyaya, is the strongman and he is a member of the R&D. And this shows the influence of this bureaucratic military machine that is essential, and that is right now backing Bouteflika, despite the fact that clearly the political field is irrelevant and popular support is not there. So the only reason for Bouteflika to stay in charge currently is not the support of the FLN, which is still an empty shell and largely widely discredited. It's the support of the bureaucratic military machine that is still here. Divided, but united in one single idea, maintaining some kind of status quo.
3: The protesters in the street officially, ostensibly, is to get rid of Bouteflika. But if that's the case, why not just wait until the election and vote him out? Or is there a lack of confidence in the whole electoral process?
1: This is, again, a very important question, simply because Algerians consider for obvious reasons that elections are not trustworthy and they are not also meaningful they are not trustworthy why or we cannot trust the electoral process why obviously there is a 1992 coup that demonstrates still that if the regime if the bureaucratic military apparatus is if uh, some elements in civil society are opposed to the outcome of the election an intervention a military coup is possible
3: This is right after the opening up that we mentioned briefly in 1988, when for the first time Algeria had multiple parties and actual legitimate elections which were
1: about to be won by the Islamists. The Islamists won the elections, the local elections in 1990, the the elections, the legislative elections of 1991, where already won objectively. Shani, the leader of the the FIS, at this point was already negotiating with then-president Shagli. What is important here is that there is an historical contempt for uh, popular will. Historical contempt that is linked to the vertical nature of power, first of all, that is linked to a pervasive culturalism inherited from colonization that depicts the population as of that. So the elites, both in the opposition and in the regime, depicting the population as backward, unable to vote correctly, and this is something that has been obviously echoed by foreign partners such as the US, the EU, France. So this contempt for popular will is a good reason for the population to be extremely cautious and to look at these electoral processes with an objective hostility. I want to, to, to also add something that for an electoral process to be worthy, it has to be meaningful. You cannot just vote people out without any kind of alternative. And this is the great success of the Asian regime over the last 15 years. The, the electoral system is pluralist. I'm convinced that Buteflika has some kind of relative legitimacy compared to his opponents, but it's only possible because everybody is discredited. The political field is just a desert. It's a fragmented. There is a multiplicity of parties that are unable to have any kind of popular support that are completely fragmented, discredited, unable to challenge uh, the presidency. So from this perspective, why would you as a citizen support the electoral process? You have no alternative whether it is voting for this dead man or for the jokers in front of him. What are the demands then
3: of the people in the streets? They know what they don't like. They know what they don't want anymore. Mm -hmm. What are they hoping to, to replace this regime with if they had their brothers?
1: What would happen? What they want is dignity. And dignity means everything. It's a movement that is linked to pervasive socioeconomic unrest and an ideal of social justice that has been here, but also an ideal of political sanctity. There is an idea uh, widely shared in the, the Algerian political culture that is inherently linked to uh, the revolution, this legacy. And I mean, a revolution is a political purity. You have to propose something that is just honest and fair, and that is going to provide everything. And people in Algeria still believe in that. They still believe in that. And they have been, and their, their, their claims have been met with absurdity and contempt. Right now, what they are demanding, and this is what is wonderful, they are demanding everything. They are demanding everything. Social justice, democracy, respect, peace, and all the other demands that can at one point pop up in this kind of popular mobilization. Everybody has something to ask, to demand. But to be simplistic, it's about absolute socioeconomic justice and absolute political respect.
3: So you say
1: respect and a
3: word actually that's very important has been important in other arab countries dignity mm-hmm. dignity the word dignity, dignity right mm-hmm. dignity is important and this the trigger this time seems to be the absurd contempt mm-hmm. of the rulers uh, that they would keep on pushing this uh, farce this Absolutely. pretense that this dead man is actually able to govern and that's obviously disrespectful and Mm -hmm. not worthy of the dignity of of the Algerian people. Mm -hmm. But as you also mentioned earlier, the political field is extremely fragmented. At one time before the civil war occurred, there seemed to be a preference for the the devil we didn't know over the the Mm -hmm. devil we knew. Algeria seemed to be already tired of corruption Mm -hmm. and, and tyranny and they were going to give the benefit of the doubt to the Islamists who might not have been much better but a civil war ensued what is now the situation in terms of the most prominent parties why is there such a, a vacuum uh, or a, such fragmentation mm-hmm. what are some of the main actors among these political parties that saw their birth uh, at the end of the 80s yeah th-
1: there is something that i always repeat but there is no vacuum of power in the middle east anywhere in the middle east there is an excess of power, because of that, a fragmentation and the competition. Currently, we can look at the Algerian political field in very simplistic terms. You have four dominant trends or political traditions: the nationalist tradition that is historically legitimate, and that is represented obviously by the FLN, the RND, and many other parties. And you have parties in the opposition that are that belong to this nationalist. Family. Then you have the Islamists, who are extremely important because of what happened in the 1980s and 1990s, and the, in this Islamist subfield, we can identify two different trends. Uh, the Islamo-populist trend, which is in a way the continuation uh, of the Islamic Salvation Front, the FIS. And the party that won the election in 1991. And this Islamo populist trend is untarnished, but viewed with suspicion for obvious reasons. Because Algerians are obviously opposed to any kind of terrorism, and many of them will view Islamo populist actors as extremely suspicious and potentially dangerous.
3: Okay, so they're <laughs> not untarnished. They have proven through their violence that they're dangerous people.
1: The thing is, with this idea of untarnished, when you look at somebody like Abdallah uh, Jabala, he has never at any point in his political career taken part in any kind of violence. Abdallah Jaballah, who is by far the most coherent political actor in Algeria, is an Islamopopulist, but he has never supported violence. He has never supported the fist. And is right now a figure that is clearly, in a way, credible in Algeria. Even if, yes, he is conservative, and clearly, for example, I think that he still supports the family code, which is extremely problematic in Algeria. It's like conservative uh, set of laws. Bureaucratic sharia. Sharia is something that can be negotiated. The state is much more uh, efficient when it comes to implementing conservative policies. So what you're saying
3: (laughs) about these Islamist parties is that even though the general movement has been tarnished by the violence that happened, in the '90s, not every element, not everybody who identifies as an Islamist, but not everybody has been tainted by this violence.
1: Absolutely, for also an obvious reason, the process of national reconciliation, directed by the presidency by Bouteflika, it was clearly aimed at excluding violent actors so violent islamists most of them are out of the political game somebody like jabala has never taken part in violence the islamo-populist trend in algeria is already a collection of various fragments of the islamist movement but there is another trend that is dominant currently which is the legalist reformist trend in a tradition that somehow follows the, the steps of the muslim brotherhood So there is no uh, party of the Muslim Brotherhood in Algeria, but the MSP, the Movement for the Society of Peace, led by Zahra Mokri, is, I think, by far the strongest political party. It was uh, associated with the government. It took part in uh, government coalitions in the 2000s. They left this presidential alliance in 2012 after the Arab Spring, and same thing, they cannot be suspected of supporting violence. They have always been opposed to violence. Their position is rather pro-market reformist. If one can denounce something in their platform is that they are ambiguous when it comes to the regime, but they are clearly not radicals.
3: They are neoliberal. When you say reformist, you mean people who want to reform the economy
1: absolutely reformist in the sense that they want to reform their discourse is ambiguous but obviously there is a notion of reforming political process because they consider rightfully that they would benefit from any kind of political opening but obviously their political discourse is coupled with an economic discourse and yes mainstream Islamism is pro-market it's neoliberal in egypt it was the case it is the case in a, which is not the case when you look at the islamo- populist trend somebody like Jaballa will have a a more socialist take on these economic policies. So, if you allow me just to develop something else that is important, because the Islamist field is, a sub-field is an important part of the political field in Algeria, but there is also a Berberist.
3: Berberists are those uh, elements in the political landscape of Algeria who have pushed for a stronger presence for the Berber culture mm-hmm. and Berber language and official recognition of the importance of the Berber language and culture nationwide, not just in Berber-speaking regions.
1: And at the same time, Berberism has been because of this tension opposing Berber-speaking or Tamazir-speaking regions. And Algiers, the the central state, they have also been uh, in favor of some kind of decentralized democratic uh, government. So they are a culturalist discourse is coupled with a democratic, uh, pro-political reforms, pro-human rights um, discourse. So for the last 60 years, even before the rise of Islamism, Berberism has been the real, the main force of opposition in Algeria, the main opposition force in Algeria.
3: So there's these different tendencies. You have the Islamists and you have the Berberists, and then you have the traditional FLN now slash RND nationalists who sprang out of the struggle against colonialism. So these are what you're talking about when you say fragmentation. None of these elements are able to gather enough force behind them. They have to always compose and, and create coalitions. Or, or what is the picture in terms of if there was a true legitimate election today, what would be reflected there in terms of people's Ooh. preferences?
1: It's even worse than that in the sense that even in their subfield, the main political parties, for example, the main Islamist party, the MSP, or the main Berberist party, the FFS, are not able to create some kind of coherent revendication or coherent alliance. Each of these political field of subfields are extremely divided. So at this point, what you have in Algeria is at least 10 to 15 relevant political parties. None of them is able to receive more than 15% of the votes. It would be the FLN. 15% of the votes, it's the best one can do currently. You can win uh, legislative elections with 15% of the votes because of the current institutional arrangements, but you, you cannot support a presidential candidate. You cannot create some kind of long-standing political hegemony. So the only person who was able to maintain some kind of stable support and some and create some kind of illusion of a majority was Buteflika. Beyond him, currently there is nobody. So the, the main the main stake, politically speaking and let me be clear, I think that what is happening currently is much broader than the political field. It's a real revolution. So the political field is just an aspect of it. But one of the main, main stake for the political parties currently is to reorganize everything and come up with a cross ideological platform that will allow them to present one united front and potentially agree on one candidate. This will not happen within the next three or four weeks. It's extremely unlikely. They have been trying to do that for the last three, four years. All the negotiations, the successive rounds of negotiations have failed. They need more time. So the main stake at this point, if they want to create some kind of united front, is to suspend the electoral process. Because if the elections actually happen in one month, one month and a half, the regime will win. The candidate of the regime will win, whether it is Bouteflika or La Mamala, because the regime is so more united currently. It might change rapidly,
0: too. That's Thomas Serres of UC Santa Cruz speaking with Khalil Bendib about the recent inspiring popular movement across Algeria. It all began when it was announced that the country's ailing president, Abdulaziz Bouteflika, would run for a fifth time in the upcoming presidential election. We'll hear more after a break. From Pacifico Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa.
3: What is the role of the press in all this? Following 1988, the street demonstrations and the the heavy toll. There's talk of 500 to 800 victims, people who died in the streets, mostly young mm-hmm. people. Following that that shock to the system, there was an opening, and it wasn't just for multiple parties, political parties, but also an opening. In the media field, all of a sudden, the state re- relinquished its monopoly of the media, and there was a flowering of dozens of small newspapers and mm-hmm. what have you. Quite astonishing back then, for and still today to see that in an Arab country. It's quite impressive. Of Mm -hmm. course, the government, the state has learned to subvert all of that, Mm -hmm. just as the United States elites have been Mm -hmm. dominating their own media here in the French and in most places, even liberal democracies have systems of censoring and controlling the media. Tell us briefly what the picture is 20, 30 years now later, 30 years after this opening up of the media there are still some voices that are courageously criticizing the government and others Mm -hmm. that have been co-opted by the government. Tell us a little bit what these people are doing right now as Mm -hmm. this uh, revolution, you call it a revolution, Mm -hmm. is unfolding. Yeah,
1: I have been always uh, impressed by the vitality of the Algerian printed press, especially the newspapers, because it was the main achievement, something that survived the civil war, this private Printed press and all these journalists who relentlessly criticize the government, who relentlessly echo the claims of all the social movements scattered around the country. This private press, especially newspapers such as Al Watan or Al Khabar, Al Watan in French and Al Khabar in Arabic, have been absolutely key in maintaining a high level of criticism in the public space. In algeria over the last 15 years and yet they have faced all kind of government hidden repression because obviously algeria is officially a democracy and the process of democratization has been on its way for the last 20 years so it would be impossible for such a democratic regime to crack down massively on journalists but the daily harassment the legal nagging, all the, the attempts to undermine this freedom of speech have somehow failed to discipline these newspapers, especially Al-Khabar and Al-Watan. And because of their activism at this point, I think that we can call it, we can speak about activism, they have been able to maintain this spirit of rebellion in the public space, and they have also legitimized popular demands. As I said before, coming from social movements, the unemployed movements, the anti-fracking movement. And what is currently happening is largely a consequence, a reward for their activism. And when you see the way in which Al-Watan Al-Khabar cover, document the current uprising, you feel the... Uh, excitement, the feeling that finally it's happening and that they have been struggling over the last 15 years to make this happen. And this is an amazing uh, thing to to witness, even from from afar, this kind of of retribution. But at the same time, the media field is in a way schizophrenic because you have pro-regime private newspapers and public media outlets which currently enable to cover or to express or to document what is going on in the streets. And so you have in Algeria at the same time, two very uh, estranged political discourses or media discourses, one that speaks about a revolution and the other that is barely uh, noticing it, which is a lot about this kind of absurdity in the public space that is suffocating and that explains largely the current mobilization. After the uh, uprisings of 2011, the Algerian regime considered a set of uh, reforms and one of the most uh, meaningful was the opening of the media field in the the realm of satellite TV. So there is no also like some critical voices on TV, which is also quite important to, to understand why this widespread indiscipline has taken such a massive form.
3: It is a mixed picture.
1: A mixed uh, picture, but as you said, remarkable in comparison with other uh, countries in the region.
3: Yes, remarkable compared to uh, maybe not Tunisia anymore, but certainly Morocco, Egypt, Egypt, and most of the Middle East still, unfortunately, even post 2011. Mm-hmm. These guys, by the way, have survived. A lot worse than what they're going through right now. They survived waves of assassinations during the Dirty War, the -hmm. the Civil War of the 1990s. And nobody knew for sure who was killing them. (laughs) Because obviously some of the Islamists were killing them, but sometimes there were suspicions that the government was hiding behind Mm -hmm. the Islamists, pretending that Islamists were killing journalists that were inconvenient for the government so they have known very dark hours they've also known harassment as you were alluding to by the government government using pretexts to yeah. to crack down on the press all sorts That's of shenanigans what has happened the past 2 weeks since this this new protest began how have the journalists been treated the dissident journalists
1: it's extremely interesting to observe because the regime is navigating a situation uh, that is uh, extremely contradictory. They claim to be democratic. They have played on this, they have used and instrumentalized this narrative of democratization for the last 15 years and therefore they cannot crack down massively on journalists. But they can arrest them, they can uh, arrest five, six reporters at the end of a protest, a demonstration, keep them in jail for one day, two days, and then release them. Without any uh, further prosecution. So they are maintaining some kind of pressure, but unable to repress massively, as it could be the case in Egypt or in Syria. The Algerian regime is somewhat trapped. And what is amazing is that journalists who are, aware, who are also activists, who are working for all these uh, newspapers that I mentioned earlier, knew that. But what we see now is that journalists working for public media are also entering in some form of dissidence. They are also protesting the way in which uh, their hierarchy is covering the current uprising. And this civil disobedience is no taking, I would say, a new a new form, a new meaning. It's also a question of freedom of the press and freedom of the press, especially for those who work for the sake. Because over the last fifteen years Private newspapers had this kind of ability to express their discontent. But for those working with media, it wasn't a possibility. And now they are using this moment to make this claim in the public space and say, we want to be a real journalists too. We want to do our job correctly. There was one f- famous uh, anchor woman who
3: just resigned from her job on TV.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing happened at uh, Radio Chen 3, which is the, the francophone radio. The most Algeria, which... popular French-language radio station in Algiers. Exactly. Same thing happened. So this movement is happening currently in the public media, which shows that it's the current socio-political equilibrium is shaking and cracking from all parts.
3: As one of my Algerian correspondents was telling me yesterday, The government has also learned, also followed the model of liberal democracy or Mm so-called liberal democracy that have learned to co-opt journalists just by offering them nice jobs and nice benefits and nice salaries Mm -hmm. um, and withholding those nice goodies from people who don't toe the line.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So it's Um, both a carrot and a stick, not just a stick. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the 2000s, journalists working for the public radio started social and political movements asking for social benefits, but also political and media freedom. And they were just fired because at this point, the regime had the the possibility to obviously crack down on this minority, but also reward those who were supporting them in the institution. No it's not possible anymore because this massive mobilization clearly shows that if you're working with the regime currently this is not a pragmatic choice anymore it's treason. We are back in in a very dichotomic situation. In the 2000s and until 2013-14 the situation was not dichotomic. It was possible to be critical but still make the pragmatic choice to to work within the state to accept some kind of benefits, to accept some kind of retribution, because I mean, people wanted to live a normal life. And it's normal to want to live a normal life everywhere. But currently, because of the political conflict that is everywhere, and especially in the public space, this kind of pragmatic choices are not possible anymore. It's about us versus them. And this is what makes the situation revolutionary.
0: that is Thomas Serres of UC Santa Cruz speaking with Khalil Bendib about the recent inspiring popular movement across Algeria. It all began when it was announced that the country's ailing president, Abdulaziz Bouteflika, would run for a fifth time in the upcoming presidential election. We'll hear more after a break. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa.
3: a nice uh, sketch of what the political parties are, the main political parties. But in an interview you had recently in Jadalia magazine, you were also able to give a brief description of the opaque clique that is currently in power right behind Batufliqa. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of you know, an idea of who these are both the business elites and the, maybe the military uh, type of people, the political forces that are behind Bouteflika and who are seemingly unable to agree on a successor that, as we mm-hmm. speak.
1: Yeah, uh, that's one of the recurring questions when it comes to Algeria: who is in charge. First of all, it's a state, institutionalized, so a state can function by itself without any kind of leadership. Uh, These institutions have their own way to function. So it's not about like the state itself. It's about those who are at the highest level of decision-making and who uh, try to secure some kind of of status quo. What we call the regime is a cartel-like structure that brings together various groups. The core of the regime is situated at the highest level of the military bureaucratic apparatus, so in the administration and in the army, and obviously within the presidency. It's not Bouteflika himself, who is a dead man, but the people around him and the presidency is an institution. It's a collective actor. The administration, the highest level of the administration, is embodied primarily by these uh, civilian figures uh, trained in Algerian elite schools, such as the national administration, the L- 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 ENA. And most of I would say, the hatred figure in the regime are from the ENA. We're trained at the ENA, uh, Ya. Y- Selal and so is La Mamara. So you have this bureaucratic elite, technocracy, which is literally a, a state class, a yeah. class that has been trained to serve the state and own the state. Huyah was the Prime Minister
3: and then La Mamara tells what their functions are, these three Yes.
1: Yeah. Huyaya, Celal and La Mamara are all alumni of this, UNR, trained in diplomacy. Uyaya served as the head of the presidential cabinet in the 1990s. Then he became prime minister. Then he left. He came back as the um, head of Bouteflika's campaign in 2014, and ended up being minister again, prime minister again in 2017. Salal was prime minister from 2012 to 2017, and is currently. And he was running Bouteflika's campaign until last Sunday. He was sacked. Sunday night. And Lamamara is a former minister of foreign affairs, ambassador at the UN, ambassador in the US too, a figure that is well known internationally, respected by these foreign partners, whether they are American, Europeans, or African. So all of them, this both of enfin, Uyaya, uh, Selal, and uh, Lamamara all has this diplomatic training, but Selal huyaya focused mainly on managing the polity, managing the government on a daily basis, when Lamamra is a figure of Algerian diplomacy. This is why Lamamra is currently the best option to become the, ne- the next Algerian president if the solution comes from within the regime. Yes. Because he's respected internationally and unlike Selal huyaya people in the street do not hate him yet. Selal and Huyaya are, especially Huyaya. is especially... Uh, so
3: closely so, uh, linked to Bouteflika and to the status quo, yeah.
1: And I think that people uh, reject Huyaia much more than Bouteflika himself. It has been like that for for the last 10 years. It is the, the violence of the regime is embodied by somebody like yeah. Huyaia. He's mm-hmm. somebody who has been routinely speaking about chaos, about the fact that the Algerian people should stay in line and walk the line, because they know the price of anarchy. He has been calling opponents anarchists, and uh, he has been, I think, pretty uh, clearly uh, presenting an alternative. It's either you deal with us, or you all like, end up killing each other like you did in the 1990s. He did even worse than that,
3: I think. To me, even worse, he actually implied that uh, the Syrian scenario could play out in Algeria should these young people on the streets uh, be so obstinate and not just go home.
1: Uyaya has been, if you want, producing an extraordinary amount of symbolic violence. This is why people reject him so much. He is really currently, I can tell you that it's about Butafrika, but Butafrika is just some kind of ghost, and here at the same time, yeah. And Gaisalla. so we come to the army. The army is legitimate as a political actor for historical reasons because there is this ideal uh, political uh, union or identification bringing together the people united and the army and the people, hawa hawa, they are, they are brothers. <laughs> but that makes sense and it's something that has been here for the last 60 years. But the army might be seen as, as an institution that is supposed to uh, echo the, the popular will. But the leadership of the army and somebody like Gates Allah, doesn't have this kind of credit. People know very well who is the current chief of staff, Ahmed Gait Salah, that this man has been supporting Bouteflika and his uh, crew for the last uh, 10 years, that he is equally corrupt, and that there is nothing to expect from a man like Gait Salah. And who
3: also threatened the, the protesters with the same kind of rhetoric as Uyahya. He's also exactly. threatening chaos and, and the bloody civil war
1: if they don't uh, relent. Exactly. This is what I was going to say, that currently Buteflika is hidden somewhere in uh, Switzerland. Uyahia is somehow staying away from the public space because everything he will say will be interpreted as a top provocation. So the man who is currently speaking in the media and saying, you should stop right now, is Keit Salah. Salah. So even if... Uh, the army has this political legitimacy, the leadership and especially the chief of staff are currently completely backing the presidency, which is not the case of the rest of this cartel-like structure. And this is what is interesting right now. Everything is so falling apart. And you uh, have these uh, associations from the revolutionary family that are starting to uh, support the protesters, starting with the,
3: the association <laughs> of uh, <laughs> veterans uh, yeah. of the revolution.
1: Absolutely, the National Mujahideen Organization.
3: And also two very popular figures of the revolution, both of them women, Jamila Mm -hmm. Bouherid, who was tortured by the French, and Zahra Mm -hmm. Drif, who was in the Battle of Algiers. Both of them came out in favor yesterday, I think, Uh, two days ago, came out in favor of the protests.
1: Absolutely. Both of them hero of the bomb network during the Battle of Algiers. So that's something huge. The revolutionary legitimacy is now on the side of the protesters, which is important. But more broadly, what we see is that the regime was this very broad, uh, catch-all structure. The core of the regime is currently still backing Bouteflika, the army, the administration, the presidency, the nationalist parties. But even in the FLN, some people are starting to voice their concerns or their their disapproval. But the, 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 the periphery, of the regime, all these associations, trade unions, members of the UJTA. Uh, uh, local
3: bureaus of the UJTA, the mm-hmm. National Labor Association, have come out also in favor of the protest, not national leadership, which is very close to the administration, but Absolutely. but, but uh, yeah, different places in the country that, mm-hmm. that are members of the UGTA. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So we can see that this uh, cartel-like structure is slowly uh, crumbling. And, and, uh, and that's a process that is difficult to, uh, to stop. So you've given us a very good
3: x-ray of this uh, cartel, as you call it, power cartel. Um, except for business, who are the, the, business, um, the, the business interests that are behind the regime at, at this point?
1: you have uh, obviously these crony capitalists uh, who whose interest uh, depends on politic, political protection uh, whether they are uh, making money in construction or imports or trade um, so people like uh, obviously um, Ali haddad, um, and and these uh, cronies are not in a position to intervene politically directly but through their business owner associations they can and they are currently supporting botefrica and also through the, the newspapers they own, they can also uh, echo the message of uh, the discourse of the so uh, uh, Ali haddad uh, owns two newspapers um and um Temps. and these newspapers have, have been uh, relentlessly uh, uh, presenting this protest as some kind of manipulation of the people uh coming from foreign enemies and um, the, the the former members of the FIS, such as obviously um,
3: so you gave us a real good picture of all these people you call this a revolution. It's interesting to hear you use the R word, <laughs> given the uncertain prospects with the fragmentation, with, with all the possible negative repercussions that might still happen. The, the game of the, the regime has always been to hijack whatever protests start mm-hmm. from the grassroots, as, depict them as, as foreign and depict them as violent. They Mm -hmm. will introduce at some point, when they get tired of this nonviolence, they will try to introduce violence. So far, it's been remarkably peaceful and respectful and nonviolent, which is wonderful. Two weeks is a long time to maintain that. Uh, The police, remarkably, have been very quiescent, very cautious. And this has been a feature of Algerian politics for the past at least since 2011, the past two decades.
1: No, even before, yeah. It's something that a former uh, head of the police, Berkhani Hamel, was really proud of, this idea of democratic management of the masses. And this is also where the regime is kind of trapped in its own narrative of democratic transition, that at one point uh, you have to deliver the nonviolent coercion, and this is what they are doing, and they are doing it well, which means that they are weak. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Uh, then the question of violence. Uh, I think that there is something that we must say. That violence is a political resource, but it's extremely costly. So it's something that you use only when you have no other choices and when you're re- ready to pay the price, when you feel that what you can get out of it is worth it. And the thing is, who is going to uh, use violence no, massively against the Algerian people? The army? What is their interest? What would be their interest in shooting at the people? They have no interest in being violent. The the cost, the price they paid for what they did in the 1990s was huge in terms of legitimacy. People still think of the generals as a bunch of murderers. So the price you pay for introducing this kind of violence is, I think, and this is why I'm speaking about the revolution, too high. And I don't think that the regime is ready to pay this price. Or at least I don't think that the army is ready to pay this price. Gail Salah might be, but he's just one man. The army is, is a collective institution. So it implies that all the generals are ready to go that way. We are far from, the, from here currently. And what we see is that the people have made uh, this idea of Silmiya, uh, of, of pacifism, Uh, one of their main, uh, one of the key elements in their discourse is Silmiya Hidariya. We are pacific and civilized. And when they do that, they respond to what has been said about Algeria over the last 20 years. No, we are not violent. No, we are not chaotic. No, we are not childish. We are better than you. And I know it might be wishful thinking. It might be me who really wants this to happen in a perfect uh, way. But what I've seen over the last two weeks tells me like just one thing. Is that one can trust these protesters to do the right thing because they have done everything perfectly. And that's amazing. That's amazing because also it shows that what they have been through over the last 30 years allowed them to learn how to navigate this situation, this crisis, and how to neutralize the violence, how to neutralize the contempt, how to neutralize the support foreign powers for their authoritarian regime. And I think that this is the most important thing to keep in mind. Algerians deserve to be trusted at this point.
3: Algerian President Abdelaziz Bouteflika has just renounced his latest bid for the presidency and has decided to postpone the election. And this is no small victory for democracy in Algeria. The principle of the sovereignty of the people has been reinforced, at least in one tangible way. But in practical terms, other than, you know, no more zombies in power mm-hmm. and no more opaque uh, unelected cliques behind the zombies, in practical terms, where do you think this leaves the Algerian people at this critical juncture?
1: Well, it's a, it's a great question. It's simply, in a way, put the whole country in a, in a situation of, for once, of uh, extremely, um, exciting and wonderful uncertainty because there is certainly a possibility that all this will end with the same kind of never-ending transition, or even why not with a military coup. But what we have seen for the last three weeks is that there is a mobilized demos, there is a mobilized citizenry, and there is no reason for them to stop. So everything is possible, but I I firmly believe that this is the beginning of a very interesting evolution of the country toward a system that might be, that could be, genuinely democratic. But, and to be absolutely clear, the zombie is still in power, and the clique is still currently in power. So it's far from being over, and they might have uh, some kind of other resources that they can mobilize in order to, um, to remain in charge.
3: So the so fact, that, the fact, fact that, 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 that they haven't that. given any new dates for the election, for example, and they have not resigned from power, that is kind of leaving things up in the air a little bit.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Right now, protesters are extremely suspicious for obvious reasons, and students are clearly expressing their rejection of never-ending fourth mandate, because right now what they do is just postponing the election. Therefore, there is still a president, still Bouteflika, and, and what we have is a fourth mandate that continues. And the regime has, in the past, used all the tools, all the, the, the toolkit of democratization to ensure some kind of never-ending transition. So right now, they are still, when I say they, I mean the regime and the various groups associated with Bouteflika and the presidency, they are still somewhat in their comfort zone. Transition is their comfort zone. This is what they do. So obviously, without a continuous popular mobilization over the next couple of weeks, this might result in some kind of status quo.
3: So we haven't seen the end of this. To be continued.
1: That's to be continued, but... It is extremely interesting and it offers an extremely positive, optimistic perspective on Algeria and, more broadly, on the Arab world, and I think that after what happened in Egypt or in Syria or in Libya, we are all in need for this kind of very positive examples and it's wonderful to see the Algerian people leading the way.
0: Thomas Serres is a lecturer in the Politics Department and Legal Studies at the University of California in Santa Cruz. He is a specialist of North African and Mediterranean politics and his scholarship focuses on questions of crisis, economic restructuring and authoritarian upgrading. His forthcoming monogram is entitled Managing the Crisis, Blaming the People The suspended disaster in Bouteflika, Algeria. He spoke with Khalil Bendib. For more analysis about the political and social history of popular movements in Algeria and the current political landscape, please visit jadmagazine.com. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa.
2: Nekka xṣnitrakem terniḍ-as ccna ulac ass-ieqqur neǧǧi Assnerwal mizirya nessassaram azekka akk tawwurt ad tne Ad d La Bohème, La Bohème, for thee easy. La Bohème, La Bohème, تقسرده مطروني وكنا دناوي منسي ملمي تثغلي دورو أنا الزلسة بسطرق دهينة صغيمي مين عيانا استعفوطة خمتاتي دنكروبا بسيقر بالسكر يدي ثفرها ما تثرزو هذي ثبرنا ندو هبريدة دناوي لا
3: and that's it for us this week Voices of the Middle East and North Africa is produced at KPFA
0: Studios in Berkeley Mira Nabulsi is our senior producer, our media partner, is a Status Hour podcast, and Jadalia Ezin. You can find us on Twitter at Vomina underscore radio, or listen to our past shows on iTunes or SoundCloud at Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. You can also reach us by email at Radio at gmail.com.
2: And I'm gonna stay here. I'll never go. I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of losing you. I'm afraid of losing Shoes things